Well, we've heard a little bit from the book of Ecclesiastes. We're now going to turn there uh, and open it and read from it so we can dig a little deeper into it. So I invite you to grab your Bible and turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. I'm going to invite Ben up uh, and he's going to lead us as we read this morning from Ecclesiastes chapter 7. good name is better than fine perfume, and the day of death better than the day of birth. It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting, for death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. Frustration is better than laughter, because a sad face is good for the heart. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. It is better to heed the rebuke of a wise person than listen to the song of fools. Like the crackling of thorns under the pot, so is the laughter of fools. This too is meaningless. Extortion turns a wise person into a fool, and a bribe corrupts the heart. The end of a matter is better than its beginning, and patience is better than pride. Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. Do not say, why were the old days better than these? For it is not wise to ask such questions. Wisdom, like an inheritance, is a good thing and benefits those who see the sun. Wisdom is a shelter as money is a shelter. But the advantage of knowledge is this. Wisdom preserves those who have it. Consider what God has done. Who can straighten what he has made crooked? When times are good, be happy. But when times are bad, consider this. God has made the one as well as the other. Therefore, no one can discover anything about their future. In this meaningless life of mine, I have seen both of these, the righteous perishing in their righteousness and the wicked living long in their wickedness. Do not be over-righteous, neither be over-wise. Why destroy yourself? Do not be overly wicked and do not be a fool. Why die before your time? It is good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. Whoever fears God will avoid all its dreams. Wisdom makes one wise person more powerful than ten rulers in a city. Indeed, there is no one on earth who is righteous, no one who does what is right and never sins. Do not pay attention to every word people say, or you may hear your servant cursing you. For you know in your heart that many times you yourself have cursed others. All this I tested by wisdom, and I said, I am determined to be wise, but this was beyond me. Whatever exists is far off and most profound. Who can discover it? So I turned my mind to understand, to investigate, and to search out wisdom and the scheme of things, and to understand the stupidity of wickedness and the madness of folly. I find more bitter than death the woman who is a snare, whose heart is a trap, and whose hands are chains. The man who pleases God will escape her, but the sinner she will ensnare. Look, says the teacher, this is what I have discovered. Adding one thing to another to discover the scheme of things, while I was still searching but not finding, I found one upright man among a thousand, but not one upright woman among them all. This only have I found. God created man upright, 
but they have gone in search of many schemes. End of a reading. Thank you, Ben. Um, keep your Bibles open. It's, it's a tricky chapter. Um, a lot of people say that this is the hardest chapter in Ecclesiastes. It's certainly one of the strangest, um, and particularly some of those last lines um, are some of the most offensive. <laughs> so we're going we're gonna to dig into them. We're going to try to unravel this mystery that is this book, um, and we're going to hear God's voice teaching us through it. Now, of all the uh, animated movies I've ever watched, which is quite a few, to be honest, um, I reckon one of my favourites is the original Lego movie. Um, I, I've watched a couple of the follow-ons. They're not as good. The, the original is the best, and it is the best. Uh, it's an absolute classic. If, you, if you've ever watched it, it just brings you back to playing Lego as a kid and, and all the stupid things you did and all the, the weird things and funny things. They, they kind of captured it all. Uh, and one of the best characters, I think, in the Lego movies is Princess Unikitty. Now I have a picture of Princess Unikitty. Uh, hopefully she's up there behind me. Lovely creation. You may have made something similar to her as a uh, child. She is the princess of Cloud Cuckoo Land, where everything is perfect all the time. It is rainbow bows and unicorns and bubblegum and happy, and there is nothing bad there. And nothing sad is ever mentioned. It is all smiles and laughter. It is a beautiful, wonderful, somewhat fake, happy all the time place. It's lovely until the world breaks in. And when the world breaks into Princess Cuckoo, uh, to, to Cloud Cuckoo Land, in all its ugliness, Princess Unikitty snaps. Uh, Princess Unikitty loses the plot and she falls apart and goes berserk. <laughs> she just cannot handle a life that has that in it. And it's funny, you know, you're watching it as an adult, it's funny because you see the satire, you see the little dig, they're, they're having a go at us, aren't they? It's, it's mocking our world and the things that we want in our lives. It's mocking our pop culture. You know, we live in a world that, that treasures happiness, that only wants happiness, that, that tries to minimise the negative and, you know, brush it under the carpet or, or gloss over it. We, we want a world in which everything is awesome and cool and great all the time, where nothing disturbs us. But that's not the real world, is it? And just like in the movie, when the real world does break in in all its ugliness, things start to fall apart. And sometimes we too fall apart. You know, we, we lash out, we despair, we, we try to move on, we try something else. We can't handle it. I mean, you know what it's like, don't you? We, we create our little bubbles of life and we float along in our little bubbles. Yes, there's ugly stuff out there, but, but my little bubble's okay and things are going all right here. We're, we're insulated, we're, we're fine. Until we're not. Because at some point in our lives, the messiness of this world will hit home. In fact, not at just some point, it's going to keep doing that. And where do we go then? What do we do? Well, the teacher today wants to burst our bubbles, not because he's cruel, uh, not because he just likes to do that. He wants to do it to help us. Because yes, this world is confusing, yes, this world is difficult, but there is still a way to live through it all, and that way is good. And it even, this is a big claim, it even makes sense of it all. 
And that's what we're going to find as we pull apart this passage this morning. Now, of course, the way the teacher approaches this problem might actually make all this confusion seem a bit worse at the face of it. I mean, I don't know if you noticed uh, how odd the values are that he promotes at the start of this passage. Um, let, me, let me read them for you again and just pick out how weird this is. Um, verses 1 to 10. A good name is better than fine perfume, and the day of death better than the day of birth. It's better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting, for death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. Frustration is better than laughter, because a sad face is good for the heart. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. It is better to heed the rebuke of a wise person than to listen to the song of fools. Like the crackling of thorns under the pot, so is the laughter of fools. This too is meaningless. Extortion turns a wise person into a fool, and a bribe corrupts the heart. The end of a matter is better than the be its beginning, and patience is better than pride. Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. Do not say, why were the old days better than these? For it is not wise to ask such questions. <laughs> there you go. If you long for the good old days, you're a fool. <laughs> not my words. <laughs> but it's weird, isn't it? Like, it's weird as you follow through that, just what the teacher's promoting. Look, look at what he's saying. Uh, it's dying is better than living. Mourning is better than feasting. Uh, frustration is better than laughing. I mean... What's going on? That seems so peculiar. Rebukes are better than songs. The end of something is better than its beginning. It's, it's such a strange way to look at life, isn't it? It's as if the teacher's saying negative things are better than the positive. And actually, if you're concluding that, you're, you're, you're spot on. That is what he's saying. These negative things are better than the positive things. But look how he summarizes it. Look how he kind of gathers this all together in verse 11 and 12. Wisdom, like an inheritance, is a good thing and benefits those who see the sun. Wisdom is a shelter as money is a shelter, but the advantage of knowledge is this. Wisdom preserves those who have it. See, what he's saying is, all of what I've just told you, all these proverbs that I've gathered together, this is what wisdom, what wise living, looks like. So biblical wisdom isn't just, you know, a bunch of pithy sayings that you kind of can't really work out that sound very mysterious. That's not what it is at all. Biblical wisdom is, is a framework for understanding the world. It's, it's a way of saying this is kind of how the world works so that you can live well in the world. And these proverbs that he's gathered, they are wisdom, he's saying. Now, wisdom is not absolute truth. Um, it's not as if the house of mourning is always better than the house of feasting. That's not his point. But what he is saying is there is good there in those places, not just in the enjoyable things in life, but in the difficult things as well. There is good for you. But why? Why is that the case? In fact, how can that be the case? Well, the teacher says it's because of who God is. Look at verse 13 and 14. Consider what God has done. Who can straighten what he has made crooked? When times are good, be happy. But when times are bad, consider this. God has made the one as well as the other. Therefore, no one can discover anything about their future. Both good and bad is of God. 
Now, that's not to say that God is the source of bad as the same way that he's the source of good. But what it is to say is he allows good. Uh, he allows bad, sorry. Bad is of him. That is, bad is part of what he allows, part of his purpose in this world. Um, sometimes, I, sometimes I hear people say, and it's usually when something good happens or when there's some sort of happy or convenient coincidence, they, they, they say, you know, it's a God thing. <laughs> um, that's, that's how we reflect on that. And the teacher says, yeah, that's true, but so are the bad things. <laughs> They're also God things. <laughs> we don't like to admit that, but that's true. Those are God things as well, the difficult things that we encounter. See, his point is, if you only focus on the good in your life, if you chase only what is positive and fun and enjoyable and avoid what is difficult and costly, if you live that sort of life, you are actually missing out on life. There's a whole part of life that you're not experiencing at all. In fact, he says you're not living well. That is, not living wisely. Your life is foolish. That is, shallow or second best. I mean, just imagine for a moment that you are training for a marathon. I mean, I don't know why you would ever want to train for a marathon or do a marathon, but just imagine by some quirk of fate you have found yourself preparing for a marathon. But you don't want that marathon to be hard or painful, which is understandable. Um, and therefore, you don't want your training or your preparation for that to be hard or painful either. You don't want it to cost. Why would you want that? And so you only train when you want to. Like, when do you actually feel like training? Uh, you only train when it's sunny uh, and not windy, which is never. <laughs> Let's be honest, it's the northwest coast. Uh, and you only train as far as you're comfortable. So if it starts to hurt or you get a niggle or a little blister, you stop training and you don't train until it is gone completely. How's that going to go for you, do you think, when marathon day rolls around? It's, it's not going to go well, is it? You, you're not going to be prepared. You're not going to be able to face that challenge. And see, that's the teacher's point. These tough things they can be good for you. They can train and prepare and shape you. Now, let's be very clear about what we're not saying here. We are not saying that you have to live life pretending as if bad things are good. <laughs> That's stupid. That's not, that doesn't make sense. You don't have to prepare, pre pretend as if every bad thing that comes in your life is a good thing. That's, that doesn't make any sense. But what we are saying is, if you want to live well, that is live wisely in this life, you have to understand those bad things and have the right attitude towards them. If we only accept the good in life, we are missing out and living a foolish life. That said, to believe this is only possible if your worldview is big enough to have God in it. This way of looking at the world only makes sense if God's there. Now you might say, well, that's, that's plainly wrong. You know, I, I've accepted all sorts of bad things entirely without God and I know lots of other people who've done exactly the same. And yes, we do, don't we? You know, we accept uh, a, a, a measure of poverty while studying so that we can get the job that we want. Or we, we work long and difficult hours in a new job in order to gain that promotion to the job that we actually want. Um, or we suffer in the gym so that we can have the fitness or the body that we desire. But there's a difference there, isn't there? See, those are costs that we have planned for. Those are costs that we've accepted in ourselves. Those are costs that are within our scheme of life. 
But let me ask you, what about those costs that aren't? What about unexpected illness? Or crisis in your, in your area? What about family breakdown or job loss? Things that we couldn't have planned for or couldn't have anticipated. Can you accept those? Well, the teacher says yes. If you believe, and that is if you trust in God. Because God is bigger than those things. God is bigger than them. And that means where you might not have accepted or planned for those costs, where you could never have anticipated them coming, he has. Because the teacher says God is big. So we don't have to say bad is good, but we do say God is good. And because God is big and good, all of those bad things, they're not somehow outside of his plan, as if, you know, some addition to it or something against it. All of those things are in his plan. They're, they're, they're actually part of it. They have their place and they are useful in achieving his good plan. Now that's a big claim, but we know it's true because God has told us so. Because even the very worst thing that ever happened is in his plan. See, God's plan was to come to this world and to fix what's wrong with it, to make right the things that are broken, to heal and to restore. And his plan was to do that in a person, in his son, in fact. Jesus, whom he calls his beloved son, his perfect son. He came to rescue broken people from a broken world. And yet he was killed. In fact, he was murdered. It seems like the very thing, last thing you would expect. But only a couple of weeks later, here's what one of his followers had to say. He says, this man, that is Jesus, was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. Isn't that astonishing? It, it was the worst thing ever. You know, God's plan to fix a broken world ended in his son being broken. And yet what he says is, that's his plan. That too was part of his plan. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't an interruption that he had to somehow come to terms with or deal with. That was by his plan and in his plan and in fact to fulfill his plan. This is how he went on. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Messiah. Because even the baddest thing, the worst thing ever, was within God's plan, achieving God's plan, bringing it to bear. For Jesus' death crowned God's plan and achieved the forgiveness that a healing of sin, even those who killed Jesus, and restores and makes them right and brings them back to God. And if God can do that, then what does that mean for the bad and hard stuff that happens in your life? So don't be foolish. Now you don't have to brush off pain in your life or hardship. It's nothing, I'm fine. <laughs> That's what we say, isn't it? We don't have to say that. We don't have to pretend that. We can face these challenges rather than run from them. We don't have to endlessly spend our life trying to minimise difficulty or avoid suffering or pretend it doesn't exist. Sure, we don't go looking for it, that's, that's dumb. But we accept it when it comes. And we trust this too is of God. 
And as the teacher encourages, therefore we learn from it and grow from it and are better for it. Not only for ourselves, but for others as well. And all of that is possible because God is good and God is in control, even in the tough stuff. Now sometimes, though, that's not too hard to come to terms with. You know, we, sometimes we encounter hardships, we go through trials, and, and we can see how that's changing us. We can see how that's shaping us or teaching us. But what about those times in our life that just don't make sense? What about those things that happen which are so random and, and so unexpected and just so unfair? How do we face that? Well, that's where the teacher heads next. Because the world is confusing. And we need to face that and not fear it. Look at verse 15. In this meaningless life of mine, I've seen both of these. The righteous perishing in their righteousness and the wicked living long in their wickedness. See, sometimes the teacher says, things just don't make sense. Sometimes really good people have really bad lives. And sometimes really bad people have really good lives. What do we do with that? That doesn't make sense. How is that fair? How do we, how do we wrestle with that truth? I mean, it's not just something that's hard. We, I mean, we could handle that. This is just plain confusing. The world doesn't seem to work as it ought. Well, we could try to apply wisdom to it. Um, the teacher gave that a shot. And look at his, uh, his conclusion, verse 19. Wisdom makes one wise person more powerful than ten rulers in a city. Now jump down to verse 23. All this I tested by wisdom, and I said, I am determined to be wise, but this was beyond me. Whatever exists is far off and most profound. Who can discover it? Wisdom is really good, he says. Wisdom is really helpful, but it doesn't always have the answers. He says, I tried to be wise. He accounts himself the wisest man who's ever lived. And he says, but even for me, there is so much beyond me. There are deeps too deep for me to fathom. I couldn't figure it all out. I couldn't make sense of this world. Wisdom fell short. And actually, that points him to the flaw that he finds in all his searching. And that flaw is that we're flawed. Look at verse 20 and 21. Indeed, there is no one on earth who is righteous, no one who does what is right and never sins. Do not pay attention to every word people say, or you may hear your servant cursing you, for you know in your heart that many times you yourself have cursed others. He said, I found in all my searching there is not a righteous, a morally upright person in the whole world. You want proof? <laughs> Here's proof. Imagine if you overheard everything that anyone had ever said about you. <laughs> what, would make that, what would you conclude about people? And now flip it on its head. Imagine if everyone heard every word that you'd ever said about other people. What would they conclude about you? We are all very flawed, aren't we? In fact, the teacher says we're not just very flawed, we're deeply flawed. Look at verse 25 through 29. So I turned my mind to in understand, to investigate and to search out wisdom in the scheme of things and to understand the stupidity of wickedness and the madness of folly. I find more bitter than death the woman who is a snare, whose heart is a trap and whose hands are chains, 
The man who pleases God will escape her, but the sinner she will ensnare. Look, says the teacher, this is what I've discovered. Adding one thing to another to discover the scheme of things while I was still searching but not finding. I found one upright man among a thousand, but not one upright woman among them all. This only have I found. God created mankind upright, but they have gone in search of many schemes. Yes, it is culturally offensive to us. We wouldn't write this. Uh, we wouldn't put it this way. Uh, and I'm not sure why the teacher fixates on women in particular. But when we peel back that layer, his point is relatively simple. Um, he says we're not good to each other. Now he fixates on the way that uh, women are not good to men, but the, the same is true in vice versa. We, we know that. We can see that elsewhere in the Bible. But he even goes any further. He says the, the fact that that happens and the fact that we are that way, that's not actually God's fault. He says God created man upright. It's not as if he created us flawed and so we were forever destined to be flawed. He says it's actually our fault. Mankind, that's us, we've all gone in search of schemes. That is, we've all gone our own way. We've, we've said no to God's way and gone our own path. And that's resulted us in being flawed. I think that's what he's trying to get at with that, you know, one man in a thousand but, but no women. I think what he's trying to say is few and far between. I think that's maybe a more culturally sensitive way to put it. Few and far between. Code is none. There is no righteous person. We are not good. And that's the reason that we can't figure out this confusing world. We're flawed and therefore unable to truly measure it or plumb its depths. It's like we're using faulty tools for the job. Um, I found this picture the other day. I hope it comes up clear enough uh, and you can see. Now, take a close look um, at those two tape measures. Uh, and tell me if you see an issue there. There's a slight problem, isn't there? If you look very closely, imagine now you are trying to build something in your workshop with those two tape measures or fix something around your house. Um, how's that going to turn out? <laughs> it's going to turn out like something I built <laughs> with just one tape measure. Um, it's it's going to be an issue, isn't it? In fact, I reckon the people who uh, built my, the house I grew up in used these tape measures. Uh, there wasn't a square corner in the whole place. It was quite phenomenal. But, but that's the point, isn't it? If your measure is flawed, everything you measure is going to be flawed as well, isn't it? Nothing is going to make sense. Nothing's going to work out as it's supposed to be. And that's what the teacher is saying. We are flawed. And so we cannot possibly get the right measure of this world. It's always going to be confusing to us. <laughs> that's not very hopeful, is it? So what do we do? Now, you might expect, go to God for answers. You know, we're flawed, he's not, so he can tell us the true way of things, and that's right. But that's not where the passage goes. Here's what it says instead. Look at verse 16 through 18. Do not be over-righteous, neither be over-wise. Why destroy yourself? Do not be over-wicked and do not be a fool. Why die before your time? It is good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. Whoever fears God will avoid all extremes. It's, it's kind of the last thing you expect to read in the Bible. Hey, um, don't be too righteous. <laughs> no, that's weird. But, but, but see what it's trying to say. The, the point is, 
don't try to bring yourself to a point where you can make sense of the world, either by, by righteousness and wisdom or by evil and stupidity. Neither extreme is going to bring you to a point where you can understand things, where you, where you can figure it out. It won't work. It doesn't happen. So instead, the teacher says, what you need to do is fear God. That's his bottom line to working out this confusing world. Fear God. Which is a bit of a surprise, isn't it? Because the world is already full of fears, isn't it? You know, it's, it's confusing. That is anxiety-inducing, scary, uncertain, unpredictable. Do, do we really need to add more fear on top of that? You know, uh, now I have to fear God as well as all of that? Well, no. The teacher says fear God because the fear of one thing, the fear of something big, drives out another fear. The fear of one thing drives out the fear of another. It's actually one of the reasons I ride uh, mountain bikes. You know, sometimes, uh, sometimes life is, is stressful, sometimes work is stressful, and I, I get anxious, and I find myself um, stewing on things and getting worked up over things and stressed, which is all a kind of a fear response. Um, and so I go for a ride. Now, on, on the ride up, my mind is churning, and you're still turning over all of those things. But the moment you point the bike downhill, you've got something bigger to fear all of a sudden. You know, you need to fear staying on the trail because you don't want to go home in an ambulance. Um, you need to fear that jump and that rock and that, that tree root and that corner. And, you, you, you know, you, you need to fear going fast and staying on. All of that takes over. And it's amazing. You get to the bottom and you think, wow, I haven't actually thought about anything besides surviving for the last three minutes because that's the point. That fear drives out the other fears. And so too here. You won't fear the confusions of the world when you are fearing God. Now you might ask, but how's that any better? <laughs> you know, replacing one fear with a bigger fear. Well, here's how. Fearing God isn't the same. It is not the same as fearing the unpredictability of this world. That fear is scary. You know, it's fear of the unknown. It's fear of what might be or what could be or what we can't control. God is not like that. God is, is known. God is knowable. Now, he should be terrifying. <laughs> Let's not get this wrong. God should be, you know, scary above anything else. He, he is utterly perfect, unrelenting in, in holiness and, and, and power. He is glorious beyond comparison. And yet in Jesus, he's also knowable. Because everything that would have stood between us, everything that would have kept us from him, our sin, our seeking after these schemes in rejection of him, all of that is taken away. All of that is forgiven. And so that terror is, is gone. Because we become his children simply by trusting him. And so our fear is not abject you know, dread or, or fear or terror. It's absolute trust instead. Yes, awe, but also gladness. And as a result, a life lived utterly for him, around him, with respect to him. Now, don't get me wrong, that won't give you all the answers in life. That won't solve every mystery or predict everything that will come your way. Now, you, you won't be a guru who can you know, unravel life's mysteries and navigate all the uncertainty of the future. It doesn't work like that. You won't get the answers, but you will get a solution. 
fear God. That's your solution. That is, tether your life to him. Actively practice relying on him. Live with respect to him in every corner of your life, in your decisions, in your, your, your thinking, your working, your resting, everything. That's your solution. That's the better fear. It's not a fear like fear of the world that, that's, that's life-taking, life-interrupting. This, this fear is life-giving. You know, when I write or when you do something scary, so, you know, we say to each other, you know, I've never felt more alive than when I'm you know, hurtling down a hill or, or doing something like that. And so it is with God. You will never be more alive than when you live in fear of God. For in that, no matter what life brings, you are found. In the unknowable chaos of pandemic and outbreak and lockdown, in economic uncertainty, unexpected illness, relationship breakdown, work or housing insecurity, whatever life brings, anything you might fear, God is your anchor through that. Fearing God is your touchstone that keeps you. All those storms swirl, but you are safe. Do you want to navigate this world fearlessly and confidently and well? Then live for God and fear him. Trust what he has done in Jesus and live close to him. And you won't go anywhere because he will keep you. Trying to run from anything that hurts or scares or confuses you in this life, that will wear you out. You'll be exhausted and desperate and ultimately unsuccessful because life's hurts will always catch up to you in the end. Trying to face them alone will leave you wounded and broken because on your own you can't make it. You can't make sense of it all and you'll become bitter and cynical and resentful as a result. So instead, fear God and know God. You'll still face all of those things. You'll still have to pass through them. But you will be able to face them well, confidently and boldly. Because you'll have seen who he is. You'll have seen him as a father and as a saviour in Jesus. You will know he is fiercely for you in all things. And you'll trust him, for he is good. So go all in. Don't fear anything else. Fear him. Live for him. That's the wise life. That's the well life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we ask for your help to trust you and fear you above all and even in all. Lord, you know this world is a difficult place. You know it's painful. Um, it's full of things that confuse us and paralyze us. Uh, and try as we might, this, this fear of what might be and what could be, uh, it keeps us from living. Lord, we can't navigate it on our own. Um, we're too flawed. We can't figure it all out. But we know we, we're not on our own. Because you're here and you've even given Jesus to forgive us, to bring us so we can know you again. 
Lord, help us to trust you in this and live this fear of you out, that we would live well and wisely in this world. Father, may our lives be tethered entirely to you, revolving around you and close to you in all things. And so help us to live well through all the confusion, through all that might be. Help us to live close to you, wisely and well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.